Did you know that every year, property crimes like burglaries and package thefts spike over the holiday season? That's why there is no better time than now to invest in Simply Safe. This week, Simply Safe are giving red collar listeners 40% off their award winning home security system. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. This offer ends soon. Take 40% off at simplysafe.com slash redcollar today. Go to simplysafe.com slash redcollar. The murder of 21-year-old aspiring model and actress Juliana Redding started out as just another Hollywood story just another brief mention in the Los Angeles Times homicide report. On Sunday, March 16, 2008, Juliana was found dead in the back bedroom of her bungalow in Santa Monica, California. Juliana's family lived in Tucson, Arizona. When her friends couldn't reach her, they called her mom. And after her mother called several times, she got worried. She called the Santa Monica Police Department and asked the officers to do a welfare check. So the officer, Scott McGowan, went to 1527 Sentinel Avenue at about 6.10 p.m. and looked inside. According to Los Angeles Times, Officer McGowan would later testify that he was working overtime that night. When he got to Juliana's house, he could hear her dog barking. He saw her car outside. But when he knocked on the door and called her name, he got no answer. There was no sign of forced entry, and the windows, which had bars on them, were unbroken. Like thousands of girls every year, Juliana came to L.A. in 2005, right around the time that she turned 18. According to friends, she was kind and charming. She was also absolutely gorgeous. She got some modeling work, did a spread in Maxim magazine, and got some bit parts in movies. She was also taking some classes at Santa Monica College and working as a hostess, waiting for her big break. The detective looked through the window and could see a candle burning on the coffee table. It looked like someone could be home, but no one was coming to the door. So he got another officer, one who had some experience with picking locks, to help. Eventually, they were able to pick the lock on the security gate. They were able to slide a window open so they could reach in and unlock one of the doors from the inside. They managed to get into the apartment. When police went into the apartment, it hit them immediately. A strong smell of natural gas. They called the fire department, and soon they were on the scene as well. The stove was turned on. So with gas leaking out and a candle lit, detectives immediately realized whoever came into Juliana's apartment was trying to blow up the bungalow. They were sitting on a ticking time bomb that could have turned into a massive explosion at any minute. Officer McGowan looked into the back bedroom. That's when he saw Juliana's body on the bed. She was lying on her back, with her feet dangling off the side. The backs of her thighs and her feet were dark purple, which meant that her heart had stopped and blood had been pooling there for a while. He could tell by the liver mortis that she had been dead for some time. Her little dog, a Yorkshire Terrier named Gigi, was curled up nearby in some clothes. The dog growled at officers when they came in. Someone had beaten Juliana viciously and then strangled her. Whatever happened in that apartment, it ended with a fight to the death. I'm Katherine Townsend. This is Red Collar.
Detectives in Santa Monica were processing the crime scene. This seemed to be a real locked room mystery. The doors and windows were secured, and there was no sign of forced entry. Detectives believed that the killer had probably locked the door behind them. Juliana's skull had been bashed. Her killer had strangled her with so much force, they actually crushed a bone in her throat. She had other injuries too, including cuts all over her body and red, burst capillaries in her eyes, probably from the strangulation. After attacking and killing Juliana, investigators believed that the killer had attempted a half-hearted cleanup. There was bleach out and a scrub brush on the kitchen counter. But then, the killer apparently decided that the best way to destroy evidence was to obliterate the whole crime scene. So they lit the candle and turned on the gas. Officer McGowan would later state in court that the candle was melted down really far, as if it had burned for several hours. So the evidence would almost certainly have been destroyed had it not been for a bit of luck. Apparently, the building was old and a little bit drafty. So the gas couldn't concentrate enough to ignite an explosion. Detectives found DNA everywhere, more than one type. They found DNA on the door lock, on an orange ceramic plate in the sink, on the stove knob where police believed that it had been turned on, and also all over Juliana's clothing and on her throat. They also found Juliana's own DNA under her fingernails. According to 48 Hours, this could have happened when she tried to pull the killer's fingers off her neck. A call had been made from Juliana's cell phone. Apparently, she had tried to dial 911, but got cut off at 9.52 p.m. Investigators believe that she died shortly after trying to make that call and that the killer had grabbed the phone and ripped it out of her hands. This gave them a good estimate as to time of death, which can be tricky in murder investigations. To figure out who may have been on the scene that night, detectives talked to Juliana's friends and her family. And of course, since she was a young woman living and dating in L.A., and it looked like the killer had known her, they asked about her romantic relationships. Juliana's father, Greg Redding, told detectives that his daughter had an on-off relationship with a man named John Gilmore. He said that John had a history of violent behavior. John spoke to 48 Hours. He admitted that he had a bad temper and said that he and Juliana had fought in the past. He also admitted that he had kicked in the door during a bad fight. He said, quote, We would yell. That time, I kicked the door. I was pissed. I kicked it a couple times, end quote. But he insisted that he had nothing to do with her death. And he had an alibi. There was video surveillance footage of him at an Albertsons and a jack-in-the-box and at a house party on the night of the murder. He said that on the night Juliana was killed, he was with some friends at a house party. He actually admitted that he had argued with Juliana the night she was killed. He said she left to go out with some friends. And while they were in a conversation about going their separate ways that night, he said that Juliana had hung up on him. While he went to the party with his friends, Juliana went out to a restaurant called Tingu with one of her girlfriends. They left separately at around 8.15. Juliana headed home. Probably, her parents believe, to watch Seinfeld reruns, her favorite. John said that he texted Juliana that night. He said she stopped answering him at around 10 p.m. Now, this time would seem to correspond with the aborted 911 call. Also, according to trial transcripts, 
At 9.53 p.m., a neighbor of Juliana's by the name of Lynn Parrish heard some yelling and commotion coming from Juliana's apartment. She was able to remember the exact time because she looked at the cable box when it happened. John said that he was worried when he didn't hear from Juliana. By the next day, he decided to come over and check on her. He said that he came by, looked in the window, and actually saw the candle burning on the table. But he didn't go inside. Now, obviously, in any murder case, a boyfriend, especially one with an admitted volatile temper, is someone who police will want to talk to. But police cleared John almost immediately. There was no physical evidence linking him to the crime scene. Also, several people said that they saw him at that house party between 9.45 and 10.15 p.m. But soon, police had a lead on another man in Juliana's life, a wealthy 40-something orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Munir Ueda. Dr. Ueda, who was from Lebanon, was described in more than one newspaper as an international man of mystery. He owned property all over the world, including a mansion in Beverly Hills and a horse farm in Germany. According to 48 Hours, Juliana met the doctor in 2007. She started working for him, doing clerical jobs, and then, at some point, she started a relationship with him. After they started dating, friends say that he became obsessed with Juliana. She moved into a house in Beverly Hills that he owned, and he gave her a car to drive, a white Range Rover. And he kept upping the stakes. He told her that he wanted to marry her. He offered her another luxury sports car. For a while, it seemed like Juliana really may be falling for the fairy tale that Dr. Ueda was offering her. But Juliana had no idea who she was really dealing with. Dr. Ueda, who would later be charged with a massive medical fraud and swindling over $100 million from insurance companies. And it seemed that in addition to allegedly being a con man in business dealings, he was running multiple scams in his private life as well. A writer named Douglas Cameron did a deep dive into Dr. Ueda's criminal past for a website called Adjuster.com. It covers all kinds of frauds, including insurance fraud. In many red-collar cases that involve murders, news reporters tend to focus on things like forensics. Sometimes they neglect the complex and financial sides of cases. Balance sheets can be dry and boring, and sometimes, speaking from experience here, Crime reporters lack the necessary expertise to know what's going on in financial fraud cases. They're used to interpreting things like blood evidence, not bankruptcy filings. But often, in red-collar cases, the financial fraud isn't separate. Greed and conspiracy spill over into the suspect's personal lives. According to the article, Juliana wasn't the only woman who Dr. Ueda had made big promises to. The writer listed at least two other women who, according to him, had children with Dr. Ueda. He said that one of the women, who he called Jeannie, had dated the doctor. He found out that not only did Dr. Ueda have several judgments and UCC liens filed against him in California, Ohio, and Lebanon, he was also dealing with allegations of medical fraud. When Jeannie threatened to break things off with the doctor, Cameron stated that Ueda dealt with the problem with the, quote, alleged hiring of a criminal to physically assault one of Jeannie's friends after she had disclosed to Jeannie certain details of the doctor's relationship with other women and his alleged fraud, end quote. Basically, the doctor had gotten a female associate to threaten to rough Jeannie up. Cameron pointed out that Jeannie 
had a very similar look to Juliana. Dr. Ueda also tried to get Juliana's father, Greg Redding, a pharmacist, on his team by promising him a lucrative job, a Lamborghini in the driveway, and a lavish life in California that included a $400,000 a year salary. The plan was, according to court documents, that he would set Greg up in his company, Golden State Pharmacies. Greg would run the pharmacy, and it would sell a pain cream that Dr. Ueda had developed. Greg said that the business was explained to him as a pharmacy, but one that just catered to Dr. Ueda's private patients. But Greg had done some checking of his own into Dr. Ueda's background, and what he found was shocking. He discovered that the doctor was lying about pretty much everything, not only his age, but the fact that he was married and had a family back in Lebanon. At the same time, he became increasingly concerned that Dr. Ueda didn't seem to have the proper licensing to do the production of this cream that he was talking about. It's illegal in California for a doctor to own a pharmacy, and Greg seemed to be wondering if Dr. Ueda was trying to get around these rules. Dr. Ueda chartered a private plane to take Juliana and her girlfriends to Las Vegas to celebrate her 21st birthday. After Juliana got the call from her dad about Dr. Ueda, she broke off their relationship. She ended up staying in a separate hotel room with her girlfriends. One of them testified at trial that Juliana was crying during the entire Vegas trip. They said that Juliana indicated that she felt betrayed and lied to. And when she got back to L.A., she told Dr. Ueda that she was done with him. She moved out of his Beverly Hills home and into her own place in Santa Monica. But the doctor did not give up. One of her friends said, quote, he was calling her nonstop, trying to get her to talk to him. He was waiting for her back in L.A., end quote. Juliana's friend, Kelly Duncan, told 48 Hours that Juliana was afraid. She said that Dr. Ueda kept texting her friend nonstop, and showing up at places where he knew she would be, including the yappy hour where Juliana would take her dogs. And Dr. Ueda also kept calling Juliana's father, and Greg kept taking the calls. Over the holiday season, he said that Dr. Ueda's lucrative promises intensified. But Greg was having second thoughts. And on March 10, 2008, Greg sent Dr. Ueda a letter saying that he was canceling their business deal. He said that Dr. Ueda didn't seem upset and actually wished him good luck in the future. Six days later, Greg's daughter was found dead. While detectives took a closer look at Juliana's life, they were also busy processing the DNA from the crime scene. There was a lot. They found traces of saliva on her body and were able to establish that it belonged to a male, but not John, her on-again, off-again boyfriend. The DNA was a match to a man named Brian Van Holt, an actor. Now, Van Holt has never spoken publicly about his relationship with Juliana. He would later tell a grand jury that he had an intimate relationship with her. He testified that he had known her through friends for around two years. He said that they went out on March 14th with some other friends, and that a group of them ended up coming back to his place. She and her friends left, but then Juliana came back. They spent time hanging out and kissing, he testified that they did not have sexual intercourse, and he said that the last time he saw her, she was leaving his loft in Venice. When he heard from a coworker that Juliana had been murdered, Brian immediately called the police. He turned over a DNA sample. Later, he was given immunity from prosecution in exchange for his testimony, 
and he cooperated fully with authorities. Police have always said they don't believe he had anything to do with Juliana's death. There was so much physical evidence at the crime scene that it took the lab months to process it all. But when they did, they found something shocking. The DNA that was found on Juliana's throat, on her clothes, on the stove, on the doorknob, and even on that plate, all of it belonged to a woman. The holidays are coming up, which means that we're leaving home and traveling more often, and that we're also sending a lot of gifts. But it's also the time of year when property crimes like burglaries and package theft spike. That's why there's no better time than now to invest in Simply Safe. This week, Simply Safe are giving red collar listeners 40% off their award winning home security system. We love Simply Safe because it has everything you need to make your home safe indoor and outdoor cameras, comprehensive sensors, all monitored around the clock by trained professionals who send help the instant you need it. It was even named Best Home Security Systems of 2021 by U.S. News and World Report. You can easily customize a system for your home online in minutes and even get free custom recommendations from Simply Safe. These are Simply Safe's biggest discounts of the year. You can get a complete home security system starting at just over $100. There are no long-term contracts or commitments. It's a really easy way to start feeling a bit more peace of mind. This offer ends soon. Take 40% off at simplysafe.com slash redcollar today. Go to simplysafe.com slash redcollar. The forensic team investigating the brutal murder of Juliana Redding had made a big breakthrough in the case. They found out that the DNA from the crime scene didn't belong to Juliana's ex-boyfriend, her recent date, or her married lover. Police followed leads for months trying to find a match. They suspected that Dr. Ueda could be the key to this case, so they tested every female connected to him. Finally, after getting a cigarette butt, they had a DNA match. Her name was Kelly Sue Park, a 44-year-old real estate broker who worked for Ueda. Exactly what she did for him was kind of a mystery. Kelly was a stranger to Juliana, according to reports. So if they didn't know each other, why did prosecutors think that she would kill Juliana? Kelly is a mysterious figure. She's described herself as he weighed his real estate broker and is sometimes referred to as his financial assistant. But most often, she's called his office manager. Prosecutors said her real job was to act as an enforcer and debt collector a real estate agent who had several business deals and disputes with Dr. Ueda called Kelly an enforcer. At six feet tall and around 150 pounds, Kelly was physically intimidating. The source said, quote, he's sending out these vixens to do his bidding. We were looking at this as a movie, like a Charlie's Angels type of thing, where he's directing these women. But the dark side, you know, the dark side of Charlie's Angels, end quote. Detectives developed a theory. The Dr. Ueda became enraged at Juliana, possibly over her father canceling the business deal, and sent Kelly to the house to threaten her. Kelly was definitely tied in to Dr. Ueda's business dealings. The facility run by him had Kelly Sue Park listed as owner, at least on paper. Prosecutors said they had evidence that Kelly had stalked Juliana, according to CBS News. Sometimes she took Ronnie Case with her, a race car driver who has his own criminal record. 
He lived with Kelly at the time, and he sometimes referred to as her boyfriend, other times in media reports as her roommate. In a later lawsuit, prosecutors would claim that, quote, both before and after the murder of Miss Redding, the defendant and Mr. Case worked as muscles, frequently using tactics of threats and intimidation to facilitate favorable terms for the doctor's business enterprises, end quote. On June 17, 2010, Kelly was arrested and charged in connection with Juliana's murder. She pleaded not guilty. The prosecution asked for a $5 million bail. The judge agreed to $3.5 million. Soon, Kelly was free, awaiting trial. And it would prove to be a long wait. Just a couple of days after Kelly was arrested, Dr. Ueda fled the country. Prosecutors took their time. They built their case. They followed the money and found that Kelly was paid over $380,000 right after Juliana's murder. And her family had received six-figure payments as well. Prosecutors also questioned her high salary. Would an office manager really be paid over a million dollars? The police investigation dragged on for over two years. The court documents say that Kelly was dispatched by Ueda to confront and intimidate Juliana on March 15, 2008. It took almost three years for Kelly to get her day in court. And the prosecution had some setbacks, especially when the judge refused to allow in allegations that Kelly had been an enforcer for the doctor into the trial. So the prosecution focused on what they believed would be a slam dunk, the massive amount of physical evidence. Kelly's DNA was all over Juliana's apartment. Prosecutors painted a picture of Kelly as a cold-blooded hit woman after she killed Juliana, prosecutors stated that she'd used the scrub brush that was found on the kitchen counter and the bleach to clean up. Plus, of course, there was the gas and the burning candle, which prosecutors believe was Kelly's way of getting rid of all the evidence. But prosecutors had a big problem at trial, the motive. Kelly didn't know Juliana, so prosecutors had to explain why Kelly would kill her in such a brutal fashion. Dr. Ueda was the key but he was thousands of miles away. At trial, prosecutors probably didn't want to suggest that he could have been the killer because that could have caused the jury to have reasonable doubt about Kelly's involvement. So, to make the link between Kelly and Juliana, they stated that it had been Juliana's father ending his business relationship with the doctor that prompted Dr. Ueda to call in his enforcer. On the face of it, the fact that Greg backed out of a pharmaceutical business deal didn't seem like a compelling motive, especially for a doctor who already had a lot of money. But scratch the surface and we can see, there was much more potentially at stake than just a business deal. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Prosecutors allege that Kelly, Dr. Ueda, and others were involved in a massive insurance scam. They billed hundreds of millions of dollars in fraudulent insurance claims. The district attorney's office stated that investigators found evidence of forged documents on Kelly's computer in a folder labeled Pinocchio. Again, the motive may have been Juliana's threat to expose Dr. Ueda and therefore also expose Kelly. Juliana's father, Greg Redding, told investigators that Dr. Ueda called Kelly his female James Bond. Dr. Ueda was not charged in connection with the murder. And through his lawyer, he has always denied any involvement. So with the motive potentially a bit weak, prosecutors put all their hopes on what they said was the overwhelming amount of physical evidence. 
Kelly's DNA was recovered from almost every surface inside that bungalow. Juliana's clothes, the oven, and Juliana's throat, from when prosecutors believe she fought for her life. And there was this single tiny drop of blood, about the size of a pencil eraser, according to court documents, found on an orange plate in the sink. That blood had Kelly's left thumbprint in it. But then defense attorneys dropped a bomb. They said that Kelly's DNA had been placed at the scene as a result of what they called transfer. When someone touches something, they leave behind their DNA. But if another person has touched that same object, DNA from the first person can be transferred from the second person to a third scene. So the defense argued that another killer could have come in and after attacking Juliana, cleaned up that crime scene with a towel that Kelly had used, which meant that the DNA was transferred from somewhere else, possibly Dr. Ueda's home, where Kelly had been many times, to the bungalow crime scene. So the defense was saying that Kelly's genetic material could have been placed at the scene by accident, by the killer using a towel that she may have used at Dr. Ueda's Beverly Hills home. Several experts who were quoted in the media and at trial tried to argue that transferred DNA doesn't really work like that. They said that it couldn't be present in these huge quantities and said that if it was transfer, it would have almost certainly been a mix of people, not one person's DNA at so many key locations in the house. But in my opinion, that seed of doubt, plus the shaky motive and the fact that Kelly was a woman, created a conundrum for the jury. Also, as in many red-collar cases, neither Kelly nor Dr. Ueda had any record of violent behavior, at least not officially. The jury deliberated for several days. Prosecutors started to worry. They thought they may be dealing with a hung jury. They thought that this would be the worst-case scenario. But when the jury came back, after a week, the courtroom was stunned when Kelly was acquitted. She walked out a free woman. Juliana Redding's friends and family members were totally gobsmacked when Kelly Sue Park was acquitted of her murder. You could hear screams of shock in the courtroom. Someone yelled, go to hell, whore, at Kelly. Dr. Ueda's presence hung over the trial, even though he wasn't physically there. After the verdict, Juliana's parents issued a statement. It read in part, quote, Our family is deeply saddened and shocked. We believe the evidence against the defendant is enormous and that justice has not been served, end quote. Two years later, in 2015, Kelly was arrested again, this time for her role as Dr. Ueda's office manager. She was charged with fraud on a massive scale. Investigators with the Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office announced that her bail had been set at $18.5 million. Kelly, Dr. Ueda, and several of their former co-workers were hit with a string of charges, including conspiracy, lying to patients, disfiguring some of those patients in botched surgeries, and cheating insurance companies out of $150 million. Prosecutors allege that Dr. Ueda and his cohorts had been bilking insurance companies out of massive amounts of money since at least 2004. Their company would pay attorneys and marketers up to $10,000 a month to illegally refer patients to them, including those with workers' compensation claims. This is an illegal method known in the PI insurance fraud world as capping. According to the Orange County Register, they would also perform unnecessary tests, 
including MRIs and other medical exams. They also kept pharmacies under their control. Now, a physician owning a pharmacy is against California state law, but Dr. Ueda had underlings working for him. So they would prescribe medicine, charge for it, and sometimes not even give it to the patients, according to the lawsuit. They hid the money, allegedly passing it through a network of shell companies, ultimately sending the money to co-conspirators throughout Southern California, Europe, and the Middle East. The investigation in this case involved multiple agencies, including the Riverside County District Attorney's Office, the San Bernardino County District Attorney's Office, the Orange County DA's Office, and the California Pharmacy Board. Even worse, Dr. Ueda and his cohorts allegedly tricked 21 people into thinking he would be performing their operations. Then, after the patients were under anesthesia and totally unbeknownst to them, the surgeries were done by a physician's assistant who had never been to medical school. According to reports, the insurance fraud came to light after Kelly was charged with murder. Apparently, after an insurance company saw her name in the papers, someone tipped authorities off about the alleged multi-million dollar fraud scheme. Soon, authorities were coming down hard on the operations at the company, Golden State Pharmaceuticals. A search warrant filed by the Santa Monica Police Department called it an ongoing, complex, multi-layer medical fraud. Former Los Angeles County District Attorney Steve Cooley has compared it to organized crime. He said, quote, it's not La Cosa Nostra. Instead, it's organized criminals who are smart enough to take advantage of society's weaknesses. These kinds of frauds are rampant and thoroughly penetrate the American healthcare system. Given the amount of money committed to healthcare in the United States, this is where the organized crime goes. It follows the money, end quote. In 2015, Kelly was charged with conspiracy, aggravated mayhem, insurance fraud, filing a false tax return, and unlawful patient referral. She faces up to life in prison if convicted. Prosecutors said in a news release, quote, all 21 patients sustained lasting scars and many required additional surgeries and suffered physical and psychological trauma as a result of their experience in Ueda's clinics, end quote. The L.A. County DA's office announced that Dr. Ueda had been arrested in Germany and was finally in custody. According to news reports, they were planning to extradite him. But then, a few days later, a DA's office spokesperson said there had been a mistake. Dr. Ueda was not in custody after all. As they did at the murder trial, Kelly and her attorneys have always stated that she had zero involvement in any fraud scheme. In December 2018, Another chiropractor and co-worker of Ueda's pleaded guilty to one count each of conspiracy to commit insurance fraud, mayhem insurance fraud, and unlawful patient referral in that same scheme. And as part of the written plea agreement filed with the court, he detailed his involvement. These court documents are eye-opening. In the documents, it states, quote, Between June 2007 to March 2008, Munir Ueda told Greg Redding, a pharmacist, that he owned Golden State Pharmacy, but he did not have it recorded in his name because California state law prohibits physicians from owning a pharmacy, end quote. The documents also stated that Kelly had started a fire in a storage unit to get rid of documents. Dr. Ueda had several different companies, but he maintained absolute control. He was in charge of paying the cappers, performing the unnecessary surgeries, and billing everything back to one of his shell companies. In one of the more surreal parts of that document, 
He said that Kelly and her sister did the pharmaceutical billing from their house, which, according to the statement, also doubled as a dog kennel. It's highly possible that Kelly was acting as Dr. Ueda's enforcer. When Juliana tried to call the police, this could have triggered the fight that would ultimately kill her. If that call had gone through, Kelly could have lost everything. Kelly has been acquitted of this murder, and she's been living a pretty quiet life. She married a retired police officer who'd been working in the close-knit community of Oxnard. The other defendants in the fraud scheme are awaiting trial. The doctor's license to practice medicine has been revoked in California, according to records. It's rumored that he's living in Lebanon, but no one seems to know for sure. What's terrifying is the fact that, looking at Dr. Ueda's fraud schemes, it's obvious that he had no guilt or remorse about what he did to patients. Sometimes when I close my eyes, I ask myself, could he be practicing medicine in some other part of the world where patients are clueless about his criminal background? Could he show up under another name with another medical practice and more unsuspecting patients? To this day, Juliana's murder remains unsolved. Her family and friends continue to grieve her and to wait for answers and justice. Juliana's beloved dog, Gigi, went to live with her mother. Her mother told a local newspaper that she's found solace in art and painting since her daughter's death. She continues to grieve her daughter and to wait for answers and justice. Dr. Ueda is still at large. Red Collar is an AudioChuck original podcast. Research and writing by me, Katherine Townsend, with production assistance from Alyssa Gostola and Resonate Recordings. You can find all of our source material for this episode on our website, redcollarpodcast.com. So what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? <laughs>